Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Uh, good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you uh should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member already, a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that. Uh, if not, $80. But either way, uh, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, Champions Club it's the best way to do it. You Six, can schedule a private tour as well. So if you don't want to, if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, twenty thousand square feet of space, uh, can handle up to five hundred folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. Six four four eighteen thirty is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, good to see you once more. Good to be seen. Although we keep seeing each other via Zoom, I, I kind of you know you haven't even commented on my on my uh, coronavirus beard or anything. No, I haven't. Has it taken you since mid March to get to that point? Not quite, but uh, as you can tell, uh, and our, our listeners can't see, but as you can tell, it is it's not gray. It's not partially, it's completely white. Well, it goes with the territory. I have uh, opted not to try that because it would be gray. And it also, I would need about another eight months to make it anything substantial. And I don't need another eight months of this. Trust me. (laughs) I heard that. All right. We've got a good show today. We always do. Bob Ferrante from the Osceola will join us a little bit later on, but we're also going to be joined by Sammy Smith, one of the all-time seminal greats, of course, was at the front end of the dynasty. Remarkable story, which we'll share with him when we converse with him in our next segment. But interesting timing. We had lined this up last week, Keith, and, and Don Shula passed away earlier this week. And Sammy's a guy who had the privilege of playing both for Don Shula and for Bobby Bowden. So that's an awful lot of wins right there between the two of them. And we'll ask his perspective. But we'll save that for when we're chatting with Sammy. You grew up in Florida. I don't know that you grew up a Dolphins fan, per se, even though for a little while they were the only team in the state. What's your recollection or experience or dealings with Don Shula? I I met him one time. I only got to say hello. He was in Tallahassee. Uh, I can't tell you that I knew him. uh, But one part of trivia that uh, I just haven't taken the time to um, research, but I've got some documentation back that was given to me by a, a longtime Florida State booster. 
that had some materials relative to recruiting back when I was recruited. And I have a, I have a list on Florida State letterhead that shows my class, Ron Simmons and Porowski and Herring and Stockstill and all these guys, Bobby Butler, Monk Bonasort, and one Mike Shula. I've just never researched, never reached out to find out if, if Coach Shula's son, Mike, had maybe committed to Florida State or was originally going to come to Florida State. Uh, I just don't know if, if I'd have had the opportunity to meet him and know him and potentially play with him. So uh, respected Coach Shula immensely from afar. Uh, knew some, some people that played for him and the stories they said. Um, you know, Nat Moore, who I did the – you and I did ball games with when we did the FSU Florida game, obviously played for Coach Shula his career. And uh, just very well respected, uh, an icon uh, at, at that level. And uh, Sammy in particular having the opportunity to play for Coach Shula, the all-time winningest coach in the NFL, and Coach Bowden, depending on what count you, you use, one of the all-time winningest coaches in college football, just a, a very rarefied air that he enjoys. He was a larger-than-life figure in South Florida when I was growing up. And context on this, now when you look at the South Florida sports scene, well, at present you don't see anything since we're in COVID-19. But generally speaking, you've got the Marlins and you've got the Panthers and you've got the Heat and you've got the Dolphins and you've got the Canes. Well, when I was growing up in the Fort Lauderdale area in the 70s, you only had the Dolphins and the Canes, and the Canes weren't relevant at that point, and the Dolphins had gone unbeaten in 72. Now, that's a little bit before my time in terms of memory because I was age two, so I can't say I remember the perfect season, but the Dolphins were the show. And then in 83, when the Hurricanes got good in football and won their first national title, you had the Sports Illustrated cover that had Marino and Bernie Kosar on it, and so that's when the Hurricanes rose to prominence and became a bigger deal. But the, the point is, you really only had football. And you for a lot of those years, you only had Shula and the Dolphins. And the success that they enjoyed, and of course, they're still the only team that won unbeaten, even though I think most would say they weren't, they're not the best team in the history of the NFL. They're the only one that's gone unbeaten. So that really was all there was in South Florida for a really long time. I mean, the Heat came around in the late 80s. The Marlins and Panthers, similar time frame, maybe early 90s, and that's when the scene expanded a little bit. But it was just football, and it was Shula. And, and as important as the NFL continued to grow, you know, the Shula coaching tree became. You know, we talk in the, in the collegiate game about uh, everybody that's worked for Nick Saban. Well, how about all of the future head coaches and assistant coaches at the NFL level that worked for Coach Shula at one point? during his career. There's more than a few names out there. The two things, I don't know that I would certainly remember had I met him, so I don't think that I had a personal interaction with, with Don Shula, certainly not when he was coaching. I may have met him at a function subsequent to his coaching career. But my dad and I used to always go to training camp. The Dolphins trained at St. Thomas University, and it was pretty open. So every year we'd go down to a couple days of open practices to watch the Dolphins practice. And then as I got older – 1987 was the year. That was my senior year in high school. It was the first year that the Dolphins played in pro players. Well, it was Joe Robbie Stadium, became pro player stadium. It's been 100. Always will be Joe Robbie Stadium in my mind. Well, now it's the Seminole Hard Rock Stadium. We, you know, they don't put the Seminole in front of it, but we do. 
unless they've changed names again in the last few months, and I'm not aware. Anyway, a couple buddies and I got jobs as ushers at the Dolphins games in 1987, which was our ticket to get in and see pro football played. So the only downside of that experience at all was that that happened to be a strike year. So three of the games were the scab players playing in 1987 and not the actual Dolphins. But that said, we would go in, they'd, all the employees would park at Calder Racetrack, which is, not, which is right next door, and they'd bus us over to Joe Robbie Stadium. And we made minimum wage as ushers, which I think at the time was maybe $3.85. And we'd be there six hours before the game, through the game. So, you know, we'd get paid for 10 hours, and it amounted to meal money, more or less. But I learned very quickly the biggest lesson I learned is that you did not want to be a scrawny 18-year-old high school senior assigned as an usher for the upper deck, which is the buy beer four at a time section. <laughs> Nothing you can do when fights break out. So my friends and I astutely befriended some supervisors on the ushering crew who worked in the club section. And for every other game, we were in charge of one section of the club section, which, as you know, is season ticket holders. Everybody knows where they're going anyway. There's not a lot of heavy lifting there. And so we just watched the football season and got paid to do it. Well, you know, this is enlightening for our listeners because I really hadn't processed the Tom, the Tom Block hospitality career. But now I understand you were, A, you were an usher at Joe Robbie and you were a cook at Hooters. I mean, what better hospitality career could a young man have? That's true. And lots of folks are shocked to know that I, Cook is going too far. That might have been the title. I handled food prep at Hooters. I was not a server, should anybody wonder. But I did have a brief stint, both at the one in Tallahassee and one off, uh, what was it, University Drive and maybe Oakland Park Boulevard or Sunrise Boulevard. I forget now, down in Fort Lauderdale. Anyway, I think the bigger lesson there, Keith, is that's when I learned that you could secure a paycheck, albeit not necessarily a large one, while watching a game you were planning to watch anyway. And I utilized that lesson for much of my career since then. Well, I'm, I'm dang near 35 years between football and basketball doing the very same thing. As we talk about, we get paid to watch games. That's, a, that's a, not a bad gig if you can get it. That, that's where it started. Some of us might even have the adage that you don't go to a game anymore unless there's a check involved. We won't name names. No, no checky, no goey. In fact, uh, the originator of that term uh, celebrated a birthday over the weekend, and uh, our good friend Gene Deckerhoff turned uh, 75 years of age, if you can believe that, on May 2nd. So happy birthday to Gene, and best wishes to he and Miss Annie. I know they've been uh, – staying at home uh, quite frequently. I've been texting and talking with him occasionally, but uh, happy happy birthday to the voice. Indeed. I wasn't going to name names. You let that slip out, but happy birthday, Gino. Sammy Smith will join us here momentarily. I do want to remind you that now that we're back to 25% occupancy inside restaurants and also outdoor seating, as long as social distance measures are in play, Madison Social is back open for business. Matt Thompson and the crew uh, welcome you at this point. Obviously, it's a personal choice whether you want to continue takeout or whether you're up for getting out of the house because we're all going stir crazy and actually uh, dining out. But the Madison Social is there to serve your needs if you're so inclined. We are here to serve your needs one hour a week. 
that's all we do, and we're 10 minutes into it. But the next 10 or 15 minutes will be much more interesting than this first 10, I can assure you. Sammy Smith joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you once again. Mentioned this in the first segment, really pleased to bring one of the all-time Florida State greats to the program, Sammy Smith, who came in in the late 80s, or I guess mid-80s, in the NFL, is still involved in college athletics today. We'll explain that momentarily. But first, Sammy, how are you? Man, I'm awesome, man. Doing real good. Uh, Enjoying this beautiful weather in uh, sunny Oxford, Mississippi today. Um, Just enjoying the ride, brother. Well, it is good to catch up. And I'm just, for our listeners' sake, I'm... I'm going to read what caused me to reach out to you. I wasn't aware, but you posted on Facebook maybe 10 days ago. I'm so excited to announce a milestone in my life. 35 years ago, I entered Florida State as a freshman, later leaving early to pursue a professional football career. I never went back to finish my college degree work as life just moved on. Cutting to the quick, you've gone back, and now you are about to get the certificate that shows that you've completed the work. I guess this is going to be from Ole Miss, but just update us and our listeners Florida State fans what inspired you to go back and finish what you started and how does it feel to know that you're at the end line or right at the precipice at this moment well I took my last final last night Uh, so I'm just sitting waiting on uh, final grades Uh, God bless me truly man to you know to go back to school and um, of the 15 or 14 classes that I had to take to finish my degree I got all A's in those classes. So uh, I know that that was just by the grace of God and him having his hand in it. And uh, I was excited to go back to school. I reached out to Florida State probably three years ago or so uh, to inquire about what it would take for me to finish. And of course, they offered a distance learning program there, which I sort of thought about uh, taking advantage of. I needed to take a couple of classes here at the junior college, and I was considering that. But after finishing those uh, classes at the junior college, I just felt like I would be better suited if I could do it in the classroom as opposed to all of it online. And uh, looked to enroll in Ole Miss and got accepted and uh, started my first semester here during the fall of last year during football season. I took 15 hours and it's 15 this semester to get my multidisciplinary degree. So I'm real excited. You broke up just a second. What's the degree in? I'm sorry, Sammy. Multidisciplinary studies. So I have three minors. I have a minor in sociology, legal studies, and I have a minor in sociology, excuse me, um, history. History, legal studies, and sociology. Okay, cool. Sammy, I'll jump in here. I have a former teammate of mine that you know named Bobby Butler. Uh, who played 12 years in the league with the Falcons. About two years ago, Mm -hmm. he graduated from Florida State some 30-whatever years after the fact. Mm -hmm. He did his online, 
And so I'm just curious why you felt like doing yours face to face, because I also teach at Florida State. So I had to do the last five weeks of this semester via Zoom, uh, which is mm-hmm. what I'm doing right now to visit with you. But what made you, why did you feel the need to be in the classroom as opposed to try to do it uh, long distance? Well, I actually uh, reached out to Bobby, actually, and I congratulated him. I saw his story. Um, that compelled me really to, to get going again. I had initially enrolled in school and then my father passed and I ended up having to withdraw in 2017 in August. Um, and then I just, you know, got motivated again and got going, but I just felt, uh, you know, I was here at a campus. I was here working, you know, with football players, um, with the football coaches on the campus. It just made so much more sense for me, uh, having not been in a classroom in over 30 years, and taking classes to, to, to do it in the class. I just felt like I would be uh, more focused and suited, even though I did take some online. And then, of course, the last seven weeks, I've had to do all of it online. So uh, just felt like that would be more suited for me and, and, and a little less challenging. And I could focus more and be more accountable by showing up every time I had to be in class. Well, congratulations on that. And congratulations on the A's. Those are always good. They are. They are. I, I challenge all my, my, my players. I actually had some classes with some of the players. And I know, you know, at the start of class on the first day when they looked and saw me in the class, they were probably thinking, well, we can't miss any class this semester. Sammy's going to be here every day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fill in the blank for some of our listeners. Not everybody knows that you're at Ole Miss now. What, what You've worked with Fellowship for Christian Athletes uh, for a number of years, and so I think it's an FCA role. But what is your mm-hmm. – and, and, and what brought you to Oxford? Well, my official title is Director of Character Development, and certainly I work with uh, uh, Ole Miss FCA. Um, I handle all the chaplain um, work for the football program. Um, I travel with the team. I'm here to be a mentor and to help the guys grow spiritually, both the coaches and the players. During the season, we have coaches' Bible studies. We have players' Bible studies. I'm here for one-on-one mentoring. And, um, you know, really, I'm here just to share my life, man. And, uh, you know, I've had the, the, the blessings of going through some, some great times and some difficult times. And uh, God has allowed me the opportunity to, to get a amongst a group of uh, folks that I enjoy being around, you know, football players and coaches, and just do life with them. And uh, it's been a really good journey for us these these four years here at Ole Miss. Sammy, most of our listeners will be familiar with the fact that uh, at a time in your life, you got a little bit awry, uh, ended up with some legal Mm -hmm. issues, uh, spent some time, as they say. But I'm curious, uh, Tom shared this with me before we came on the air, but uh, those experiences uh, seem to have given you a little bit of a leg up in one of your classes that you took. Yes. <laughs> Tell yes, us about was, that. Yeah, it was a legal studies class. Um, one of the first classes that I took at the junior college uh, uh, was a corrections class. And, of course, I was really interested in taking something that I had some knowledge of. And, and when I took the class, I found that, uh, man, I was offered a you know, able to offer so much uh, personal experience to uh, what I had gone through. And this uh, professor actually taught at Ole Miss, too. 
Uh, so I ended up taking three of his classes and, and some other uh, uh, professional campus that engaged me and uh, literally asked me would I share, you know, with the class. So I would have a day actually where I would share my story with the class, um, um, a, a law enforcement ethics class that I took this semester. I got a chance to share that not only, uh, you know, the normal regular human beings like myself that just live in society uh, encounter ethical issues, but law enforcement do too. You know, so it's just, it was really neat and it was something that I was uh, really interested in and passionate about learning more and then being willing to be able to share, you know, what I had gone through. We're talking with Sammy Smith. Sammy, two questions here. What was, when was the darkest moment or what was the darkest day? And then how did you turn it around? Because these stories don't always have the same thing as what you've been able to, to carve out in your life. Well, I think as you live life, Tom, you know, the darkest days tend to change. Um, you know, what would be a dark day two or three years ago would be something you know, could be different. You know, so um, a dark day would have been certainly losing my son uh, to SIDS at two months old when I was playing down in Miami. Uh, I would look at that as a milestone dark day. Uh, I would look at getting arrested, um, you know, and being a part of a, a drug conspiracy and seeing my life get altered dramatically. That was a dark day. Um, losing my father in 2017, that was a dark day. So it's really hard for me to put a, 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 a you know, rate the dark days, but just that through God's man, that all the dark days that we encounter, if we put our trust in him, then we're able to see our way through those. You're a little bit, uh, you're a little bit unique uh, in that you played for the all-time winningest coach in the NFL, on whose record we're counting or whose numbers we're counting, one of the all-time greatest winners in the college game. And we lost Coach Shula uh, this week. Uh, talk about uh, your time in Miami and your, your time with Coach Shula. Well, it was a, a dream come true to get drafted in the first round and to have that call and my first communication with Coach Shula uh, was the call when he told me that he was getting ready to take me. And I was real excited and ecstatic, you know, to have the chance to go down and play for undoubtedly the, the greatest NFL coach to ever coach the game. Uh, we got one that's really doing well now out in, in, in New England. But uh, and then to have the opportunity to play with greats like Dan Marino, uh, uh, Mark Duper, um, and then to go there with, uh, one of my former rivalries who became a very good friend of mine, Louis Oliver from down in Florida for us, both to be first round draft picks that year was pretty special. Um, I got the news from Jim Henry, actually from Tallahassee on, on Monday. Uh, he called me as I was sitting here early studying and he asked me, had I heard the news? And I hadn't. And he shared with me that coach Shula had passed and we talked for a little bit and I just reminisced on, really the great man that he was outside of the football, but just uh, the, the human being that he was. He reminds me so much of, of Coach Bowden. There's so many similarities that they have, uh, of course, on a different level of coaching football, but uh, legendary uh, legacies that they have. 
Can you dive deeper on the similarities? Because Bobby's got that Southern charm, kind of folksy. I grew up in South Florida. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the firm jaw. So when you talk about similarities, mm-hmm. about the way they lead, not necessarily how they spoke or how they speak, what were some of those likenesses? Well, the similarities, of course, they were winners. You know, both of them won a whole lot of games. Uh, uh, they molded men, I think. They molded players. Um, the one thing that I was sharing with the uh, um, journalist from down in South Florida a couple of days ago, because he asked me that same question when I made that comment about Coach Bowden and, and Coach Shula, and I think that they they coached with a resolve, per se, that they didn't have to get in your face. You knew what they expected from you. Um, you knew that they expected uh, excellence, and um, they didn't have to talk about it. You know, it was just something that they just exuded uh, in the way that they coached and and the men that they were. Sammy, we'll wrap this up momentarily, but take us way back when you were coming out of high school. Not so much why you came to Florida State, although you can offer that, but at what point when you were at Florida State did you and your teammates know that you were sitting on – you were on the eve of a dynasty or something pretty special Mm -hmm. based on the talent in the room? Well, I used to get up, man, in the early 80s and watch uh, Bobby Bowden football on, you know, on Sunday mornings, the Bobby Bowden show. And I remember players like Ouija D. Thompson and, you know, guys, uh, of course, uh, Billy and Greg Allen and uh, Coach Bowden, seeing uh, Burt Reynolds on there from time to time. And I just fell in love with the program. And then I had the chance to, to visit some Bobby Bowden football camps. I think I started as a ninth grader, my first time visiting Tallahassee. And, and I attended those camps, I think probably the next two or three years and got to know the coaches real well and just fell in love with Tallahassee. And uh, I knew that uh, Coach Bowden was a man that I wanted to play for. Uh, there were several other teams that um, I kind of was leaning toward, but they just couldn't hold the the mantle that Coach Bowden carried. And, and these were men that I really respected. Coach Vince Dooley and Bo Schembechler were the other two teams that I seriously considered. But there was just no way I was going to leave Florida and, 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 and not go and be a part of what I thought could be a special program there at Florida State. Now, dadgummit, Sammy, we both grew up in Central Florida. You didn't, I didn't pave the way being from Hollywood. You being from Apopka, I didn't pave the way for you to come right to Tallahassee. <laughs> you, hey, you had a lot, a lot to do with it, too. There's so many guys um, uh, that I could name. Uh, we had a Ricky Williams, I believe, that played running back at Florida Absolutely. State during the early 80s, too. Uh, that, I remember those names, man. That was a great runner. And, um, you know, I just – it was just something about seeing, you know, that, that, that horse go out, man. And, you know, them plant that spear that just got me excited. And um, I'll never forget those nights coming on to the field there. Uh, we would listen to, um, geez, what was his name, man? In the, in the air tonight. Oh, yeah, they, Phil Collins. Phil Collins, man. They used to play that thing when we came out the tunnel. And you talking about something that would move you and, and get you going. Um, I miss those days, man. Those were some awesome times. You know, thinking about that, that's got me – we're all antsy for football again. And so a final thought here, Sammy. 
we know what we're hearing on our end. What are you hearing in Oxford and Ole Miss? Are people expecting there to be a season, or is it just wait and see? We don't know. It's going to be delayed. I mean, what, do you, what are you thinking? Well, we aren't hearing anything concrete. I mean, we're certainly all, um, you know, thinking positive and thinking that things are going to get back to normal. And um, I've heard some different dates, you know, for as far as our students coming back and the players coming back. I've heard July 1st, which would be great if that happened. Uh, even sooner uh, would give us a window into, you know, when the season would start and could start. And uh, uh, at the end of the day, man, I'm – hungry for some football. I'm hungry to see our guys get back here and start to work. But I'm also a realist to know that, man, we got a serious problem out there that uh, uh, we need to be mindful of and that people are losing their lives. And uh, it's, at the end of the day, man, lives right now are more important than sport. But sport is surely missed right now. Well said. No question. Sammy, it's great to catch up. When is graduation, by the way? Well, actually, they're having a virtual graduation ceremony this Saturday. Um, and then this, this won't take place of the normal celebration. At some point in time, uh, when things clear up, we'll be able to have a, a regular ceremony. But uh, in honor of all the graduates from this uh, semester and this year, uh, they will have a virtual celebration on Saturday. Congratulated. That is an unbelievable milestone. And uh, you, you make all of us that had the opportunity to play at, play at Florida State very, very proud. Thank you. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you guys. And uh, I'm looking forward to Coach Norvell uh, doing some great things down in Tallahassee. I believe you guys, you know, we've got the right man there now. Um, I had the chance to play against him several times here at, you know, at Memphis. And always thought highly of him and thought that he was a phenomenal football coach. Thank you again for your time, Sammy. By the way, class of 2020, now you're younger when you say that. I mean, just your, your class of 2020, you're a young pup. <laughs> well, my, knee, my knees don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Sammy joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we'll be back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ joined now by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, good to catch up as always. How you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? Doing great. Another week. I promised last week we asked this as the first question out of the box. When are we going to play football? So there you go. When are we going to play football? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to stick with October 1. I still feel like that that gives us the best chance to see a full college football season. I think ultimately that's the goal of all of the conferences to get in 10, 11, 12 games, maybe building a bye week. Um, again, I still feel very strongly that we need to see colleges build in time for strength and conditioning so that athletes are not asked to go out on the field and, and perform 
you know, with, with only just a small amount of time on the field and the risk of injury, the risk of dehydration, anything, it's, it's not worth it. It's, it's really not. So I think for all those reasons, I can see a late start with students coming back onto campus in general, with athletes coming back onto campus too. I think college football October 1 feels about right, although I, I would argue that you can play other sports, potentially golf, potentially maybe even baseball, even a little bit earlier than October 1. But in football standpoint, I, I think October 1 feels right right now. Let me just – One of the hurdles we established was that uh, school would need to be in session and uh, things continue to point, at least based on – some of the things we hear at Florida State that uh, you know school will open. Uh, there may be limited classes. There may be smaller enrollments. There may be classes that are still done online. But it appears no no definitive, but it appears that the momentum is towards the school being open, which I think is one of the hurdles. Many others as well, but at least one of the hurdles that may uh, we may get a little direction on here in the short term as opposed to later on. Yeah, I agree. I think there's momentum toward a lot of colleges coming back in August. You know, Florida State has said nothing will occur on campus until at least August 2nd. A lot of colleges out west are are feeling very optimistic about doing the same, you know, returning in August. My one concern, my one pause still is you do have a lot of students coming back from all around the world. Um, and in, in the U.S., you know, Florida State, of course, has students coming from the Northeast, from South Florida, which has hot spots still in Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. I, I think we have to be very cautious, and we have to, to watch the numbers. And look, I don't know how we can welcome back 40, 45,000 students. I think there are plans that are being drawn up right now, and we just have to be as cautious as possible and, and kind of proceed as if we would like to see everybody back in early August. And, and if we have to adjust, then, then that's, that's it. So be it. We have to adjust. The expression is it just means more in the SEC, right, Bob? And so over the last, probably since we talked last, Arkansas made some comments this week. It, it feels like the SEC is more in the mindset of we're playing opening weekend. I'm just giving context. I'll let you respond. So we just had Sammy Smith on last segment, and he's at Ole Miss. And he said that he's one of the scenarios he's heard is July 1st for players returning. Now, to be clear, Sammy said it was one of the scenarios. He knows a lot more. We haven't heard anything here that would say, suggest players would come back that soon. So really what I'm driving at is I think we all are starting to see that we could have a football season where not every school is playing. Conferences might have 10 out of 14, 12 out of 14. But do you see any scenario – where we've got off-kilter schedules, like the SEC just says we're playing Labor Day weekend, let's go, and the ACC says we're not starting until October, and the Pac-12 says we may wait till January. I mean, they can't do that. There'd be no championship. Or could they just because we need the money and the TV inventory? It's really going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I think there has to be, in general, some schedule overlapping. But to your point, could a conference say we're ready to go all of our schools were going on schedule. Could another conference say almost all of our schools are ready, but not, not a couple of them. We may have to pause on a couple of games. We may have to adjust the schedule. I think the athletic interviewed the power five commissioners plus the AAC commissioner. And 
that was one of their big questions is what do you do? And there aren't great answers right now in early May. I, I think they know that that's a possibility. And, and again, what about Boston College as one example? I mean, Boston is still a hot spot. Are they going to be able to play immediately? Would they prefer to push back an extra month, six weeks, two months, who knows? And again, the weather is still a, a huge factor for a lot of these schools. You can't be playing you know, deep into January unless you're, you're looking at Dome Stadium somewhere. I think we will see commissioners drive this conversation much more than the NCAA. College football is going to be driven by those commissioners and in part will be fueled by what the college presidents, chancellors, and ABs want to do. I, I think we need to have some type of general consensus. Again, for example, do you try and go October, November, December, or do you try and push all the way into the spring? But I could definitely see a conference, not naming the SEC, but I could see a conference kind of saying, we're ready, we're going to roll, and we're just going to give it a shot, try it. One of the things that's clear, the NFL has said they basically raised their hand and said, well, we'll go ahead and schedule triple headers on Saturday during the fall if there's going to be no college football. So they're going to take the inventory and get the money back from the advertisers if the college game is not there. Right. I don't think the NFL is, is going to wait for anything. It, it seems like they are, you know, ready to roll, you know, potentially starting the preseason a few weeks later. Um, you know, we had, we had Brian Zanders on one of our Osceola Zoom chats, and he's with the L.A. Rams now, former Florida State walk-on linebacker. And, and Brian said, you know, they're, they're expecting early August, right around August 1, to have players report to start a camp, maybe preseason games a few weeks later. I, I don't see how they might get four preseason games in like normal, but they might try to do two or three and start the regular season on schedule. So I think the NFL is going for it. Their calendar has not adjusted one bit because of coronavirus. And I think a lot of people will be watching just like, you know, we're all watching say baseball in South Korea to see how that league has restarted and are there any problems. But again, I think everywhere around the world, the one thing that we are seeing that's uniform sports are starting without fans in the stands. I, I think that's, probably the one thing that we're going to see at least initially as, as these different countries try to start back up it, it's going to be us watching games on tv however i go back to the other of the two quote unquote mandatories at least in my opinion a school starting and b you can't compare the college game to the pro game you you can't make your budget work if you don't have people in the stands if you don't have tickets bought more importantly if you don't have booster contributions. And uh, I just worry about whether we try that or don't try it or where do we fall, uh, given the fact that there seems to be at least a little bit of a consensus that that's a difference between the college game and the pro game. I agree. The dollars really don't add up if you don't have booster contributions, some number of fans in the stands, um, paying concessions and such. This is the argument for playing college football in the spring. And then again, you have to figure out the schedule. Can Northern schools, when can they start? How do you build it around the NFL draft? Does the NFL, is the NFL willing to push back the 2021 draft from late April to late May to accommodate college football? 
I like to think that answer is yes. Again, let's get creative with the calendar and let's work together. The other argument for college football in the spring that I've heard, um, not from anybody at, at Florida State per se, but some of the national writers are suggesting that the concept of college football in the spring would give uh, many favorable television slots where college football, yes, would bump into, say, basketball and other sports, but that inventory of constant college football on you know, ESPN, on CBS, ABC, in months like February, March, April, would be incredibly favorable in the eyes of the TV networks. So not only do you have college football on TV, there's a better chance potentially of having more people in the stands in say February, March, April, as we get warmer around the country. So I think there's arguments either way. I'm with you hundred percent. I think we have to figure out bottom line, how do we get college football safely on the field in this fiscal year, which again for Florida State is gonna be July one through the end of June of 2021. Some amount of football has to be played, played safely so that financially athletics can, can function and that every sport can play. We're living in the conjecture world again because nobody knows these definitive answers, Bob. So let's move to something that is a little more on the field. After the NFL draft, we talked about Cam Akers both before and after the draft, but there wasn't much else there from a Florida State standpoint. Although, to be fair, Florida State will have a much greater presence in next year's NFL draft based on the, the roster right now. But at the Osceola, you guys have done some digging and checked in on some of Mike Norvell's former student athletes at Memphis and how he's, and we've talked about this, you know, he's, he's recruited the 60th best classes to Memphis, but uh, when you look at on-field, their success rate has been much better. So uh, what, what, what have you found when you've looked at, at how he's done in terms of developing prospects and getting them to the next level? You know, I think Coach Norvell is willing to, I don't want to say take calculated risks, but he really looks at the under-the-radar prospects, the guys who maybe didn't qualify academically at the high school level to get into a D1 school. Maybe they went junior college. I talked with Chris Claybrooks, who was a defensive back at Memphis. He was a seventh-round pick of the Jaguars. And he's took the, long, the, the, the very, very long road to get to the NFL. Um, he had bad grades. Um, you know, his mom had lupus. He had a child as a sophomore in high school, went to junior college as a receiver and was productive and heard about Memphis and thought, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll go to Memphis as a walk-on. And he, he runs and, and he impresses the coaches with, with a 40-yard dash time of 4.25. And he, he becomes this, hey, why not? Let's take a chance on this guy. And they switch him from receiver to defensive back. And he's productive year one as a junior, um, earns a scholarship going into his senior year. And I think that's where you start to see Mike Norvell's commitment to guys who honestly grew up a lot like him in football, guys who didn't have it easy at home. You know, financially it was tough. Um, Mike Norvell went to Central Arkansas as a walk-on and eventually, you know, grinded out to earn a partial scholarship and then a full. So I think he champions those late bloomers, those guys that they see, hey, he's got the raw athleticism. We think he can play this position. Maybe he needs a position change. And they're developing those guys, those legitimately. Chris Quaybrooks was a no-star. They're developing no-stars into talent. 
So you, you question, does that translate to Florida State? And I think it does in two regards. You can find those stars and make them productive at Florida State. And you can find three, four, and five stars and develop them here. It just kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of a window into how he coaches, how he creates an atmosphere of, I'm willing to give anybody playing time. Again, whether you're a walk-on or you're that highly regarded, you know, four-star type. It's, it's really – it's kind of an interesting storyline, I think. Their development is an area that, that we just simply don't spend enough time evaluating and talking about. Uh, because I, I will tell you that was one of Bobby Bowden's greatest strengths, but more importantly, one of his assistant coaches' greatest strength with Mickey and uh, Billy Sexton. And, I mean, you know, those, those guys were able to take kids with talent and make them great football players. I think it starts with a, a passion for football, but but also you have to be a teacher at heart. And if you have a guy who played high school, college football, he's gone into coaching, he's got some experience, he's lived it, he can he can teach it, he's patient enough, but he's still demanding. And I think we've seen again the, the small glimpse, it was three spring practices, but but we saw the demanding. The I'm not going to settle for that rep. You, you've got to do it again, or you've got to correct your technique. I, I think this is a, a staff that is very much committed toward teaching. They know that, well, let's be honest, we've, we've seen four state football the last few years, but a lot of things that needed to be corrected and, and taught the right way. And there's uniformity in how they're teaching too. All the coaches are on the same page. It's not, well, coach Thompson teaches it one way and, Coach Marv teaches another and Coach Dillingham teaches another. I think I like to see and I like to think there's uniformity in how they're handling it. And maybe through all these Zoom chats, through through the videos that the players are, are doing with coaches and assistants, they're able to establish some of those guidelines, some of how, how do we handle this? How do you learn the playbook? They're doing it together as a community. And, you know, unfortunately, they're not able to do it on the field. They weren't able to do it on the field this spring. But – I think technique and teaching is going to be kind of a backbone for this staff, and and we'll see some very positive results when college football returns. Bob, as we wrap up, you alluded to Osceola Zoom chats. I think you're doing those every Thursday now, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. What do you got on tap for this week, and how does somebody participate? Well, we participate with – internet connection, phone or laptop, and, and a cold one in hand. And, and we talk just about whatever. One week we talked a lot about coronavirus, but honestly the, the conversation quickly turned to college athletics. And, and a couple of weeks ago, you know, we had, uh, you know, we had Brian Zanders last week talking about cam Akers. We've had guys like Sammy Smith and um, we had some guys from the 93 team, some guys talking about the 1987 Florida State Miami game. We we kind of like to go down memory lane and talk about the good old days, and um, we'll post the information on our Facebook page um, for you to kind of join in. But really, it's just RSVP and, and join us. Drink a cold one and, and talk some FSU athletics with us. It's a good time. I was on the line a couple weeks ago. Didn't have a chance last week. I'll see if I can make it tomorrow. Bob, appreciate what you do. Keep up the good work, and hopefully, at some point in our lives, we'll go back to talking about on field action. <laughs> Sounds good. Bob, from the Osceola. You can go to the Osceola.com, subscribe for just six ninety-five a month. 
great work that they do, and we appreciate his insight every week. He joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. We'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles in just a moment. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ as we finish things up. Keith, it's always good to connect with former players. Sammy Smith, that's a pretty good story. I hadn't really contemplated the Central Florida connection, and even though you guys were different eras, similar similar backgrounds that way in terms of ultimately arriving at FSU. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, he was much more high profile coming out of a popka than I was. There's no question. How about that story about uh, being interested in Georgia? I don't know if you put that two and two together, but he would have replaced Herschel Walker. Because Herschel was there through '83. At least 82. Uh, that would have been an interesting uh, scenario. Well, and I'm sure that was the pitch from Vince Dooley and the dogs back then for Sammy. But the fact that he grew up watching the Bobby Bowden show on Sundays. Uh, that's why coaches like it. Even though, the, even though many would say the, the show is not very good, it was absolutely done for recruiting purposes. Yep. And Gene Deckerhoff can share some stories about getting that thing done uh, over the years back in the Bobby days. Bob Ferrante with good intel from the Osceola. We didn't talk about it here. He's chatted with us previously about it, Keith. One of the ways you can get some dollars back in the budget is to regionalize a lot of what your sports are doing. Maybe not all of them. Maybe it's not football and maybe it's not basketball. But you say to the tennis team, yeah, you really don't need, you know, you don't need to go anywhere if you got to fly there. Let's just play everybody you can bust to. It's not attractive. Uh, it certainly would hurt recruiting, which would be the pushback from the coaches. But if you get to a world where everybody in the Southeast is functioning that way, it saves dollars. The other thing I've heard, and, and we were scheduled to do this with FSU baseball this year, is where you have weekend, you, you do not have matches, meets, or games during the week. You have them on Saturday and Sunday. Instead of having a direct match between Florida State and Georgia Tech, you bring in Florida State, Georgia Tech, Clemson, and Miami for a tennis match and have the equivalent of one match on Saturday and another match on Sunday. Those types of creative scheduling things, I think, do have some merit and will be looked at. Long-term, potentially, I would think. I mean, honestly, we can talk about the ACC right now. There's, the, there's always been the debate about whether we need to have these divisions. Not always, but there's been debate about whether the divisions had the right makeup. Florida State folks, a lot of them have wanted Georgia Tech in there since it's the closest geographic rival and FSU currently plays them in football. What is it? Twice, once every six years, once every like that home. But now, and, and then there's been talk about, well, should you have divisions and then the division winners play in the championship or should you take the two best teams period and put them in a championship game? Well, now you got to, you really have to look at the ACC geographically because it is not to the southeast it's all the way up and down the eastern seaboard which they had to do to get to the ACC network and get more TV eyeballs 
honestly, you really should split it into the Big East division and the original ACC division and put the Northern schools in one place and the Southern schools in another. I think you can make a really good case that that's what the future should look like on this. Well, the only problem is, as it relates to football, is you can't have Clemson, Florida State, and Miami from a past experience standpoint in the same quote-unquote division. You you could if you said that the ACC championship game is the two best teams, even if they're in the same division. Well, then you do away with the divisions and just do a round-robin season. Well, and maybe that – and that's been talked about too, like having pods, but right. – you don't call them divisions, but you do a round robin, and the southern schools play the southern schools, and maybe one northern school, and northern school. Right. It, it just feels like all these conversations have to be on the table right now in light of the times we're in. And I would agree. I think they do. And I, this year, it's going to be whatever we can patch together, patch together. To be clear, to me, it's subsequent years, and and we're going into, I guess twenty after twenty twenty five is when the whole playoff. TV deal needs to be redone. These are where these conversations come up to say, okay, we patched together the 2020 season because only 10 ACC schools played, so we made it work. Now let's look at 2021 and let's let's scrap the divisions and let's start over. Like what really makes sense given potential travel issues, limited budgets, all these things. I think it's all got to be on the table. Well, this this academic year, 2021, football and all other sports this is the year to experiment because everything's off the, off the rails anyway. So if you were going to do something that you, you weren't sure about, this would be the year to do it so you at least get a feel for how it worked out. No question. Shout out to Ron and the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for their continued support of our program. One of these days, Keith and I will be back in the studio. Appreciate you sticking with us, Zoom. While functional and pretty good from a teleconference standpoint, it's not the best radio quality and I do understand that, but thanks for sticking with us. Keith, I will catch up with you again next week. Looking forward to it, Tommy. Appreciate it. All right, he's Keith, I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles. Talk to you next week. We don't need no thoughts control.